Talk Radio. You can call it a podcast out of the city of Chicago. It's really hot at this point, at this time uh, on the show. It's just muggy, hot, and sweaty and everything. And I'm pretty sure most people have their air conditioners on or they got a very powerful fan or something because I'm near the lake over here. But it's still hot. It's still muggy. But anyway, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. And um, the January 6th commission is underway. Underway. And uh, the Republicans are already blaming Nancy Pelosi for the insurrection on the Capitol on January 6th. That is so ridiculous. That is so shameful. Blaming Nancy Pelosi for it. There's uh, the Capitol Police wasn't ready. They weren't prepared. So they're blaming Nancy as if Nancy um, is in charge of the uh, uh, Capitol Police. She's not. She is not. And one of the uh, guys said that they they actually were not prepared. The only reason why they were not prepared, folks, the only reason is because nothing ever like this happened in the history of the United States. Nothing ever. So, in other words, they were not expecting anything like this to happen because it had never happened. Of course, if it had happened once or twice before within the 21st century, they would have been ready and prepared. They have taken, I think the Republicans are complaining about um, Joe Biden taking the fencing down around the Capitol. Uh, They may be uh, sticking their fingers in that. But anyway, let me put it this way. The Republicans hate this commission. They did not want this commission. They are doing everything they can to sabotage this commission. Why? Because maybe some of them may be implicated because I'm hearing that some of them are culpable. Some of them are complicit. So the Republicans are going to be, as long as this uh, commission goes on, and I'm hearing it, it might go on into the midterms, they're going to be throwing rocks at this. As long as this commission goes on, the Republicans are going to find some way to bash it. I'm hearing that Kevin McCartney is saying that he's going to start his own commission without witnesses. (laughs) It's a sham just like they shammed up Donald Trump's uh, second impeachment. But it's good. She's right about one thing. Nancy Pelosi and a lot of these other people are right about one of the things the American people do want to know what's happening. They do want to know. Well, we do want to know why this happened. The Republicans don't. They're doing everything to throw rocks and bricks at it, to bring it down, to bash it, to criticize it. And all they are doing is trying to get at what happened on January 6th. The Republicans are dead fast in trying to tear it down and blow it up. And I hope this comes back to 
to bite their asses in the midterms, 2022. I hope this comes back because Americans hate this. They want to see this. They want to know. Republicans are trying to stop us from knowing. They don't want us to know. They don't want this commission. And now that it has begun, they're blaming Nancy Pelosi. Hell, the rioters were after Nancy Pelosi. They would, If they would have caught up with Nancy Pelosi, in my mind, they would have killed her. Or maimed her pretty good. Because these guys, if you watch some of these videos, these rioters, these insurrectionists, they were serious about what they wanted to do. I mean, you watch these videos and you just hang your head in disbelief. Is this America? Is this what we're paying our taxes for? And a lot of these insurrectionists were professional people, police officers, firefighters, military, housewives, husbands, gang leaders, gangbangers. Sent there by Donald Trump. I mean, you think about it. All It's been about maybe 500 or 600 insurrectionists arrested, going to jail, and going to court. And in court, they're saying, Donald Trump sent us. Donald Trump told us. And that's the same thing these uh, poor officers were talking about. Donald Trump sent them. And I like what Harry Dunn said in his closing statement. I like that. He said something to the effect, a hit man sent these people. A lot of them got arrested and went to jail and been charged. Now it's time to go after the person who sent them, the hit man. Straight up implicating Donald Trump and he's right and I keep asking the question why is Donald Trump free why is Donald Trump free to start to incite another insurrection because that is what he's doing the Justice Department knows this Congress knows this Joe Biden knows this. Donald Trump is out there starting, getting people angry, getting people riled up, getting people hateful. And what do you think these people are going to do? They're going to they're gonna reform and wreak havoc, more havoc on the United States. I don't think they'll be stupid enough to go back to the Capitol. Because they're <laughs> because the cops will be waiting for them, but they may pick some other um, out of the way place in the United States to fuck up, and that's what they're looking to fuck it to fuck it all up at the behest of a twice impeached imbecile court challenge trying to overturn the government somebody who is uh, trying to uh, uh, 
rev up a coup to the United States. And she has said he's never uh, thought of doing a coup, but we know he has. Just another lie on top of the big lie. But anyway, this uh, commission is underway, and uh, I'm going to try to watch as much as I can. I don't know if I can watch the whole thing, but I will be like some other people. I will DVR it because we need to know. And I hope every American who loves America wants to get to the bottom of this. Everybody should have their eyes glued to the TV, finding out what happened. Even though most people, <laughs> most of us, we know what happened. We know who sent them. But this will go down in history. This will be in the history books. The Republicans, they don't want that. Yeah. So uh, kudos for them for doing this commission without the Republicans. Well, there's two Republicans on the Democratic Commission, and that's Liz Cheney and uh, Adam Kinzinger. They uh, said from the outset that they, they are staunch Republicans. They are staunch, staunch conservatives. I mean, <laughs> Liz Cheney has voted with Donald Trump numerous times. They are Republicans. But they are Republicans who want to know the truth of what happened on January 6, 2021. We all do. So we applaud them. We applaud Nancy Pelosi for picking them and putting them on the commission, even though it's, uh, it's kind of like lopsided. Uh, I think it's seven, seven Democrats two Republicans. It would have been five it would have been five uh, uh, Republicans and five Democrats, but Kevin McCartney turned it down. He turned it down. But now that the commission is underway and there's two Republicans that he doesn't like on the commission, what is he doing? He's calling them Pelosi Republicans. How dumb is that? Calling names on something that, calling them names on something that's serious as this, as we try, as we try to seek the truth, we know the truth. This commission, from my understanding, may go into 2022, and the Republicans don't want that because it could their chances of winning back the House of Representatives. It could affect Kevin McCartney's dream of being Speaker of the House. This is what he wants. Folks, if the Republicans Republicans win the House, America is over. Nothing's going to get done. uh, We can't have let that happen. They could make Donald Trump a speaker. They could, you know, uh, put him back in power somehow. Not through normal circles and cycles, they're going to cheat. But anyway, this um, this uh, committee, I mean, uh, this commission is uh, bone set on uh, uh, finding the truth, and that's great. 
But as I said at the beginning of this show, the Republicans are going to throw more rocks. They're going to throw bricks. They're going to try to tear it down. As I've mentioned, I think um, Kevin McCartney, as he has said, he's going to start his own commission to rival Pelosi's commission. We know that if Kevin McCartney, McCarthy starts his own commission, it's going to be a sham, a sham show, a shit show. That's all it's going to be. The media is going to cover it because that's what they do. <laughs> but anyway, I know Joe Biden, the president of the United States, Joe Biden doesn't like this. You know why? Because it's it may interfere with what he's trying to do. He may feel that this commission, uh, people may be paying more attention to this commission than for his infrastructure bill, which I think the Republicans don't want. But they may be forced to vote and pass on something like this or similar to this in this Joe Biden package. But anyway, this uh, this uh, commission is under the way, underway, and we and I'm so excited. I'm so excited that it's happening. I think all Americans should be excited that this is happening. We're going to get to the bottom of this, regardless. Uh, uh, the sideshow, the shit show that's going to be coming from the Republicans every day that this commission is um, on TV and written about. You know, I'm just, uh, I was watching it today and I was <laughs> going all over the media uh, to find out the response from the, from the um, Republicans because that's what you want. You want to, you want to see, what are they saying? What are they lying about? What, is, what are they being nasty of? Yeah, I mean, you had these four officers. I, <laughs> I, I think I saw, I, don't, I can't remember his name, but I think I saw one Republican out in front of the Capitol building praising the officers. But then on the other end, blaming Nancy Pelosi. You can't do that. You can't praise the officers for their uh, service and what they've done and the lives they saved and then go back and blame Nancy Pelosi, who was one of the victims they wanted to they wanted to kill. So I think this is going to be one of the Republicans' talking points is that Nancy Pelosi is responsible, is is to blame for the riot. That's ridiculous. That's just a pot shot the Republicans are throwing at the Democrats. The Republicans are trying to throw anything against the wall to see if it sticks. If it sticks, they're going to go with it. And they feel that blaming Nancy Pelosi is going to help them get votes. I don't think so. think so. The Republicans are desperate, they're scared, they're afraid, they're lying. They're running to Trump for advice down at Mar-a-Lago. They don't know what to do. Trump's telling them what to do. And they do it. These are a group of people who are just so proud to kiss Trump's ass. Even in front of their own voters, even in front of their own constituency. These Republicans, I mean... 
who you got? I mean, you got Nancy, uh, excuse me, excuse me. You got Marshall Green, you got Lauren Boebert, you got Matt Gates. Wow, you got a lot of them. You got Jim Jordan, you got Jim Banks. Where has the Republican Party gone? Straight down the fucking, straight down, I should say, toilet. Straight down the toilet. The Republican Party, if they actually want to still exist in this America, they're going to have to be torn down and rebuilt from the bottom up. Who would want to be a Republican in this day and age when you got idiots like that? Marjorie Taylor Greene is out there trying to trying to show up Nancy Pelosi, trying to show up uh, this uh, commission. I believe she's just pissed because the attention is not on her. This woman. She won her state without a running mate. She was the only one on the ballot. That's why we got her. I think if it would have been a Democrat on the ballot running against uh, Green, she would have lost, and we would not have this stupidity constantly every day in our Congress. Lauren Boebert, I mean, she is another stupid ass. I'm hearing her husband took out his penis and shook it in front of uh, some girl's face. Girl's face. I'm hearing something to the, to that effect. It's all over Twitter. It's all over Twitter. And she loves to carry guns. I mean, she loves to carry guns out in full view. So I'm thinking that she is the uh, representative of a state uh, where you don't need concealed carry and a permit to carry a gun. And you can carry it without getting documentation. Just go in the store, buy it, and put it on and wear it. Walk out and scare people. That's all she is. She, she is a coward. And I'm hearing she doesn't even have a high school diploma. She has a GED. That's what I'm hearing. But not an actual high school diploma Neither does she has any college at all. So I wonder how the hell does she win her job? She's making, uh, I mean, as a representative, I think the, I think the uh, salary is still $174,000 a year if they haven't changed it. I'm not sure. Anyway, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. And I'm very excited, and you should be, too, about this commission uh, getting underway, getting underway. All righty. This is the George Wilder Jr. Show. Can we get that uh, tape going? Thank you, Mr. Chairman and members of this committee. Mike. For inviting me to provide my eyewitness testimony of the violent assault on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021. My name, for those of you who don't know, is Michael Fanone, 
And while I've been a sworn officer with the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C. for almost two decades, my law enforcement career actually began here in this building as a United States Capitol Police officer shortly after 9-11. In part because of the 2001 attack on our country by terrorists, I felt called to serve. As a Capitol Police officer, I was proud to protect this institution and dedicated members of Congress and their staff who work hard each day to uphold our American democracy. I remain proud of the work of the United States Capitol Police and MPD officers who literally commit their lives to protecting the safety of each of you and all of us in this room in our nation's capital. After leaving the United States Capitol Police, I became an MPD officer serving the residents of Washington, D.C. I have spent the majority of my nearly 20 years as a Metropolitan Police Officer working in special mission units whose responsibilities include the investigation and arrest of narcotics traffickers and violent criminals. <clears throat> I've worked both as an undercover officer and a lead case officer in many of these investigations. In this line of work, it probably won't shock you to know that I've dealt with some dicey situations. I thought I had seen it all many times over. Yet what I witnessed and experienced on January 6, 2021 was unlike anything I had ever seen, anything I had ever experienced or could have imagined in my country. On that day, I participated in the defense of the United States Capitol from an armed mob, an armed mob of thousands determined to get inside because I was among the vastly <clears throat> outnumbered group of law enforcement officers protecting the Capitol and the people inside it. I was grabbed, beaten, tased, all while being called a traitor to my country. I was at risk of being stripped of and killed with my own firearm as I heard chants of kill him with his own gun. I could still hear those words in my head today. Although I regularly deal with risky situations on the job, nowhere in my wildest imagination did I ever expect to be in that situation or sitting here before you talking about it. That experience and its aftermath were something that not even my extensive law enforcement training could prepare me for. I was just one of hundreds of local police who lined up to protect Congress, even though I had not been assigned to do that. Some had asked, why we ran to help when we didn't have to. I did that because I simply could not ignore what was happening. Like many other officers, I could not ignore the numerous calls, numerous calls for help coming from the Capitol complex. I'm a plainclothes officer assigned to the first district's crime suppression team. But for the first time in nearly a decade, I put on my uniform. When my partner, Jimmy Albright, and I arrived at the Capitol around three that afternoon, it was like un <clears throat> excuse me, it was unlike any scene I had ever witnessed. Jimmy parked our police vehicle near the intersection of South Capitol Street and D Street in Southeast, and we walked to the Capitol, from there passing the Longworth House Office building. It was eerily quiet, and the sidewalks, usually filled with pedestrians, were empty. As we made our way to Independence Avenue, I could see dozens of empty police vehicles that filled the street. Police barricades, which had been abandoned, 
and hundreds of angry protesters, many of whom taunted us as we walked towards the Capitol building. Jimmy and I immediately began to search for an area where we could be of most assistance. We made our way through a door on the south side of the Capitol, walking then to the crypt and finally down to the lower West Harris Tunnel. It was there that I observed a police commander struggling to breathe as he dealt with the effects of CS gas that lingered in the air. Then I watched him collect himself, straighten his cap and trench coat adorned with its silver eagles, and return to the line. That commander was Ramey Kyle of the Metropolitan Police Department, and those images are met, etched into my memory, never to be forgotten. In the midst of that intense and chaotic scene, Commander Kyle remained cool, calm, and collected as he gave commands to his officers. Hold the line, he shouted over the roar. Of course, that day, the line was the seat of our American government. Despite the confusion and stress of the situation, observing Ray's leadership, protecting a place I cared so much about, was the most inspirational moment of my life. The bravery he and others showed that day are the best examples of duty, honor, and service. Each of us who carries a badge should bring those core values to our work every day. The fighting in the Lower West Terrace Tunnel was nothing short of brutal. Here I observed approximately 30 police officers standing shoulder to shoulder, maybe four or five abreast, using the weight of their bodies to hold back the onslaught of violent attackers. Many of these officers were injured, bleeding, and fatigued, but they continued to hold the line. As I don't have to tell the members in this room, the tunnel is a narrow and long hallway. It is not the sort of space anyone would want to be pulled into hand-to-hand -hand combat with an angry mob. Although the narrowness of the hallway provided what was probably the only chance of holding back the crowd from entering your personal offices, the House, and Senate chambers. In an attempt to assist injured officers, Jimmy and I asked them if they needed a break. There were no volunteers. Selflessly, those officers only identified other colleagues who may be in need of assistance. The fighting dragged on. I eventually joined the tactical line at the tunnel's entrance. I can remember, remember looking around and being shocked by the sheer number of people fighting us. As my police body-worn camera shows, thousands upon thousands of people seemingly de to determined to get past us by any means necessary. At some point during the fighting, I was dragged from the line of officers and into the crowd. I heard someone scream. I got one. As I was swarmed by a violent mob, they ripped off my badge. They grabbed and stripped me of my radio. They seized ammunition that was secured to my body. They began to beat me with their fists and with what felt like hard metal objects. At one point, I came face to face with an attacker who repeatedly lunged for me and attempted to remove my firearm. I heard chanting from some in the crowd, get his gun and kill him with his own gun. I was aware enough to recognize I was at risk of being stripped of and killed with my own firearm. I was electrocuted again and again and again with a taser. 
I'm sure I was screaming, but I don't think I could even hear my own voice. My body camera captured the violence of the crowd directed toward me during those very frightening moments. It's an important part of the record for this committee's investigation and for the country's understanding of how I was assaulted and nearly killed as the mob attacked the Capitol that day. And I hope that everyone will be able to watch it. The portions of the video I've seen remain extremely painful for me to watch at times, but it is essential that everyone understands what really happened that tragic day. During those moments, I remember thinking there was a very good chance I would be torn apart or shot to death with my own weapon. I thought of my four daughters who might lose their dad. I remain grateful that no member of Congress had to go through the violent assault that I experienced that day. During the assault, I thought about using my firearm on my attackers, but I knew that if I did, I would be quickly overwhelmed. And that, in their minds, would provide them with the justification for killing me. So I instead decided to appeal to the, any humanity they might have. I said as loud as I could manage, I've got kids. Thankfully, some in the crowd stepped in and assisted me. Those few individuals protected me from a crowd and inched me toward the Capitol until my fellow officers could rescue me. I was carried back inside. What happened afterwards is much less vivid. I had been beaten unconscious and remained so for more than four minutes. I know that Jimmy helped to evacuate me from the building and drove me to MedStar Washington Hospital Center, despite suffering significant injuries himself. At the hospital, doctors told me that I had suffered a heart attack, and I was later diagnosed with a concussion, a traumatic brain injury, and post-traumatic stress disorder. As my physical injuries gradually subsided and the adrenaline that had stayed with me for weeks waned, I've been left with the psychological trauma and the emotional anxiety of having survived such a horrific event. And my children continue to deal with the trauma of nearly losing their dad that day. What makes the struggle harder and more painful is to know so many of my fellow citizens, including so many of the people I put my life at risk to defend, are downplaying or outright denying what happened. I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room. But too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell actually wasn't that bad. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. My law enforcement career prepared me to cope with some of the aspects of this experience. Being an officer, you know your life is at risk whenever you walk out the door, even if you don't expect otherwise law-abiding citizens to take up arms against you. But nothing, truly nothing, has prepared me to address those elected members of our government who continue to deny the events of that day. And in doing so, betray their oath of office. Those very members whose lives, offices, staff members, I was fighting so desperately to defend. I agreed to speak here today and have talked publicly about what happened because I don't think our response to the insurrection should have anything to do with political parties. 
I know that what my partner Jimmy and I suited up for on January 6th didn't have anything to do with political parties or about politics or what political party any of you public servants belong to. I've worked in this city for two decades, and I've never cared about those things, no matter who was in office. All I've ever cared about is protecting you and the public so you can do your job in service to this country and for those whom you represent. I appreciate your time and attention. I look forward to the committee's investigation, and I am hopeful with your commitment we as a country will confront the truth of what happened on January 6th and do what is necessary to make sure this institution of our democracy never falls into the hands of a violent and angry mob.
way I feel. <laughs> That's the way I feel when I'm thinking about Republicans. I just want to holler. All right, we're back. George Wilder Jr. Show is back. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the vaccine. Okay. Uh, there are some new revelations out. The CDC has changed their mask requirements. You probably probably know. It's basically you can, you know, um, wear your mask if there's a lot of people around you that you're not sure has gotten their shots or not. Okay. Um, it's it's okay to go if you're fully vaccinated. It's okay to go without a mask if you know if you, if you if you feel safe. You have to feel safe. You can't go without a mask if you don't feel safe. And that goes for the people who are fully vaccinated. Myself, I'm fully vaccinated, but I'm always conscious of the people around me, especially if I don't know them. And anybody can say that they are fully vaccinated when they have not been, uh, when they haven't had even the first shot. Uh, But states and the, damn, I'm stuttering. (laughs) I had a, that brings me to a thought. Everybody stutters at some point. We all stutter, and I don't see why uh, so many people criticize Joe Biden for stuttering. Um, we all do it. You know, we get nervous. Uh, something happens, or we, we'll stutter. But that doesn't mean that we're incompetent. That doesn't mean that we can't talk straight. Joe is a great talker. He's a great speech giver. I mean, when Joe is talking, we don't even think about his impediment. We just listen to him because we know he's going to be, he's on his way to being a great president. Okay, so if you hear me stutter every now and then, just, ah, it's nothing, you know. Then again, who knows? Anyway, let me get back to this vaccine. Uh, CDC has required, any, I mean, you know, if you go into a, an establishment or a, a store or supermarket or whatever, uh, they're going to require masks. I, when, when we go out, I, we go into a store or I go into a store, I see people who are fully vaccinated. But when I step outside, I see so many people without masks on. And, you know, I, if you're fully vaccinated, I think it's okay. But if you're not, I think you should put on a mask because the CD, the CDC is requiring it. You know, nobody is out of the woods. Actually, you know, nobody's out of the woods. Even if you're fully vaccinated, you can still come down with it. People have. But the vaccines do work. They do save lives. And I would, you know, suggest to anybody who's listening at the sound of my voice to get vaccinated. My show is all about getting vaccinated. And... Since we've been out here, and I'm talking about not just me, but other people around the country begging people to get vaccinated, vaccinations have went up somewhat, but not enough. You still got people in Alabama, some of these southern states who are dead set on not getting the vaccine, saying stupid crap like herbs and vitamins and orange juice will keep them from uh, getting COVID-19, the Delta variant, which is ridiculous. Um, uh, we're not, folks, listen, we're not going to ever get out of this pandemic unless we get everybody vaccinated. You know what? I'm walking down the street now and I'm seeing little babies, kids, toddlers wearing masks. It's a horrible sight to see. 
you know, babies and toddlers, but it's necessary. It's necessary. Um, I do think if we keep pounding at the uh, fact that vaccines work, I think everybody's going to, mostly everybody's going to start to get it. The people who who are not getting it will start to get it. We just have to pound it into people's head and convince people that they're, that they're safe and they're not voodoo or whatever people are thinking to why they won't take it. But, but get this, a lot of um, employers are saying, uh, you can't work for us unless you can show us that you've had at least one shot. Yeah. Uh, you got state governments around the country where the governors are mandating that their state employees are vaccinated or do two weeks, twice, something of testing. Yeah, well, I knew this was coming. I knew it was coming, and it's only coming because of people, because people will not get the vaccine. So now it's coming to head where, as you will not be able to get an apartment if you're not vaccinated, if you can't show proof of it, you won't be able to keep your job if you're not vaccinated. You won't be able to buy a car if you're not vaccinated. They, these people who are doing this, they're not being mean. They're not being nasty. Just, they are just trying to protect you and their employees because this Delta variant is making millions of Americans sick. Would you want somebody to come in work in your company with a Delta variant or with COVID-19? No. And then they come into your workplace with the sickness and to you and the rest of your employees. So in a way, this makes a little bit of sense. People are going to be quitting their jobs because <laughs> I'm not getting no vaccine. I'll take vitamins, I'll drink some Kool-Aid, but I'm not going to get vaccinated. Not me. I'm going to lose my job. You're going to have people like that. They're going to walk off their jobs, leave their jobs, because the supervisor or the manager or the owner wants you to uh, be uh, vaccinated. People are stupid. People are crazy. And they're they're dead set in their own beliefs. In some cases, sometimes you can't even ch- you can't change their minds. But once you they start seeing their loved ones dropping dead or getting sick or going to the hospital, they may have a change of heart. They may. Like I said, people are are just stubborn. They don't like to be told what to do, even if it's the right thing for them to do, even if it's about saving their own lives. So we have to keep on, I think, pounding at getting the vaccine, get up off their asses and go get it. Well, I don't know where where to get a vaccine. At. I, I don't know what to do. I Get your ass up out of the bed, go down to the nearest clinic, sit down in that chair, raise up your shirt and get the shot. In your arm, it don't even hurt. <laughs> I when I when I got the shot and when my son got the shot, 
we barely felt it. We didn't. We barely felt the needle. You know. So it it it. And then you know yeah they put some um, a bandaid on it and and you you're up and out of there and you're gone. It's just that simple. Then another two weeks you come back and get your second shot. And then in another in another two weeks after that, you you are considered fully vaccinated. But we have to get people vaccinated because there are people still out here telling people not to get vaccinated, that you have a choice. You don't have a choice. So many governors, Republican governors, well, my people, they have a choice to get it or not. They do not have a choice. Get the vaccine. To save your life, to save others, to save your family, your relatives, people that you like to be around, get the shot. Do not listen to Republicans. Do not listen to Fox News. A lot of them, a lot of them have gotten a shot, and they're telling you not to get it. That's the truth, folks. A lot of people who are telling you not to get the shot. They have gotten the shot. It's 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 ironic, but it's true. And I'm getting I'm going to get back to this where the employers are now saying you should be vaccinated before they they even think about hiring you. Uh, you go get a job. You go get a job for the first time. They're going to say, Hey, wow! Can I see your vaccine card? You don't have that then uh, you don't have the job. But in some cases, employers are looking for employees, are desperate to hire employees because nobody seems to want to work anymore. You got people walking off their jobs for whatever reason. I think people are walking off their jobs because they feel that they can get another job anywhere because they're so widely available. But these employers want you to be, at least some of them, I I haven't heard it's – Mandatory, mandatory thing all over the United States, but I know in some areas you must be fully vaccinated or at least have one shot and then show them your appointment for your next shot. It's getting rough in the United States. We have to try. We have to try to get rid of this virus. This is the second coming of this virus. For a minute there, I thought we was uh getting a handle on this virus everything was opening back up people were throwing off their masks going to the beach and you know walking down the street going going inside of establishment stores and supermarkets without masks now we got to regroup and do that again why because from what i'm hearing people refuse to get the mask i mean excuse me people refuse to get the vaccine People refuse to get the vaccine. This is why we're seeing a rise in COVID-19 from the Delta variant. Because people refuse. Majority of the people who are in the hospital and dying are, are Republicans. And they have refused to get the vaccine. Because they're listening to Fox News. They're listening to their representative. All these people telling them. You don't have to get the shot. It's not necessary. It's 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 your decision. 
it's not your decision. When you see people dropping data all around you from the COVID-19, your only decision is to get the shot. As I have said, a lot of these folks telling you not to get the shot, they're the ones who have gotten the shot, and they're trying to persuade you not to get it because they want you to what? They want you to die. Oh, is that? So get the shot. Uh, tell your friends, tell your relatives, uh, cousins, whoever. Tell anybody that you know that you think has, has not got the shot to get the shot. Get the shot. We want to save America. We want to save our careers. We want to save our children. Get the shot. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. Folks, we will be right back. As I have to be back on, on Block Talk Radio, it's good. I don't know. People call it a podcast. Anybody can get on the radio. People say, George, how do you do that? How do you do that? It, oh, it's so easy. You just, yeah, you got to pay. <laughs> but you can reap rewards uh, through sponsorship. You know, like, I mean, like Fox News and a lot of these um, television shows, news shows. The way the anchors make money is through sponsorship. Through sponsorship. And when you do a podcast. A lot of podcasts don't have sponsorship. I, I, you know, in the past, I've had uh, companies come to me and ask me did, did I want their sponsorship. You know, I said, I turned them down for some reason. And I shouldn't have. <laughs> because um, because that told me one thing. They t- that told me that they liked my show they liked the format of it, and they wanted to uh, pay me to let my listeners listen to uh, to let my listeners uh, hear me talk about their service or product. So it's a it's a good thing to have a podcast, um, especially when you're making money. You, you can make money at it, you know, but you got to be really good. I mean, they're going to listen to your podcast before they decide to sponsorship, to sponsor you, okay? And um, a lot of people are sponsored and making money uh, uh, at home sitting at the kitchen table <laughs> with a microphone in front of them or not, you know, um, and just talking about what they know or what they don't know or what they want you to know. And uh, it, it's a great feeling, and I would suggest if you – uh, you have uh, to be a podcaster or a radio host. You have to have a knack for it. You have to have maybe even a talent for it because a lot of people don't have a talent to do this. And um, I never thought I had talent to do it. I, I just listened to my voice one day a few years ago, and people were always telling me I had a nice voice. You have a nice voice, George. Um uh, and uh, I looked into it one day, and I, I recorded myself uh, just talking, talking. And I said, well, hmm, sounds pretty good. You know, it sounds like a white boy. I said, nah. <laughs> I said no. And I um, kind of accidentally ran up on Block Talk 
Block Talk Radio and a lot of uh, other uh, podcasts, and I chose radio. And I've been with Block Talk Radio, oh, man, let's see, five, maybe seven or eight years I've been with Block Talk Radio. And um, and I've drawn a lot of listeners since then. I mean, people have listened. That's pretty good, George. Can I be on your show? Uh, a lot of people came on the show to talk about books and stuff like that, which was good. It was interesting because you get to meet great people, beautiful people, talented people, creative people. And that is what I liked. And that is what I'm – it's something I'm, I'm going to continue to do as long as I can do it, regardless of other factors. Uh, it's something I'm going to do and something I'm going to continue to do because I love what I do. Yeah, I love what I do. And I want you to love what I do. Uh it's it's fun. It's fun. But when you you have equipment, you you have your equipment. Uh sometimes the uh equipment fails and you have what they call technical difficulties because the equipment fails. That goes down. That goes uh uh that that comes a lot because anytime you're on a computer, your computer goes out, you you get hacked or whatever, and then suddenly you're off the air. But then you gotta find ways of getting back on the air because you know your public wants it. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. show on Block Talk Radio. Hey everybody, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now in session. The finest internet radio talk show and podcast in the land of Illinois on the north side of the great, great city of Chicago. You are now on the air. Fun time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Have a great time.
President Trump today called you and said, you've been a thorn in my side. This is annoying to me. I have bigger business that I'd like to move on to. How much do you want? I'll write you a check. A number that would allow him to continue to hide the truth? Is that the question? Yeah, for you to go away. No number. No amount of money. No amount of money. We're going to get to the bottom of this. My client's committed to it. I'm committed to it. This really isn't about the money. Good morning and welcome to AM Joy. Donald Trump loves to attack people. Black athletes, black congresswomen, women whose looks he has a problem with, Mexican immigrants. But there are two people who so far Trump will not attack, not ever. Stormy Daniels and Vladimir Putin. Now we're going to get to Putin later on in the show. But first, what's clear about Stormy Daniels, the adult film Donald Trump's lawyers think he's an absolute idiot, and his lawsuits are just as dumb as he is, maybe even a little bit dumber. Alan Dershowitz has worked with Trump before. He worked on the first Trump impeachment trial. He's worked with people in and around Donald Trump. But he is basically saying, through his inaction, that he thinks Donald Trump's big tech lawsuit is one of the dumbest things ever, and it's just a fundraising stunt and not an actual First Amendment case. Basically, Trump is yeah, suing Facebook, Google, Twitter. A, We've talked about, about it. First Amendment does not apply to private corporations. It only applies Damn to the government. So you can't violate the First money. Amendment right if you're not a government body, you know, state, local, national, whatever. But Trump still wants to sue them under this wholly dubious attempt to raise money from his most gullible supporters. And Alan Dershowitz is not above working for right-wingers. I want to read you the list of crazy people he's worked with to show how bad Trump's case must be. It says here, Lately, Dershowitz has been acting less than enthusiastically about the prospect. His reluctance marks another bump in the road for a legal crusade that legal scholars call a fundraising stunt doomed to eventual dismissal in federal court. Dershowitz has pitched in to advise a lot of Trump world figures over the past few years in the course of their legal troubles. He supported Trump with constitutional arguments against impeachment and the special counsel's Russia investigation, signed on to advise MAGA pillow magnate Mike Lindell and his lawyers in a fight against the voting system's defamation lawsuits, and offered advice to Rudy Giuliani and his attorneys in the criminal investigation into the possible unregistered foreign lobbying. Let's get that 100% straight. This man will work with Rudy Giuliani, hair dyes swimming down his face, farting everywhere, and the my pillow guy, but will not work with Donald Trump on his First Amendment case. When the my pillow guy and Rudy effing Giuliani are seen as somebody that have cases you can contribute to, but Donald Trump doesn't have that case. That's how bad you know the Donald Trump case is, because Alan Dershowitz doesn't want to put his name on it. It doesn't matter if he's going to get paid. It doesn't matter if he's not the lead lawyer, so it's not a big effort. He doesn't want to be a part of it. Indeed, all they've asked for him is some sort of affidavit, basically asking Dershowitz to write a letter, to write a document supporting Donald Trump's case, which they can use as a sort of piece of evidence or argumentation in court to say, look, this prominent lawyer, he thinks this is a First Amendment case. He thinks that fundamentally Donald Trump's rights were violated, and this brings more credibility to our legal arguments. But he's not willing, at least as of yet, to put his name to any paper, because to do that makes you look stupid. And this goes back to what I've always talked about. Donald <laughs> Trump has crappy stupid. lawyers because he is a crappy person to be a lawyer for. He barely pays his lawyers if he pays them at all.
still hasn't paid Rudy. He asks his lawyers to take on cases that are unwinnable. And maybe the biggest thing, he demands that lawyers lie for him. Because to defend Trump in court is to lie for Trump in court because that's the only defense he has. And so whether it's they're worried about their reputation or they're actually worried about being disbarred or having their law license suspended, like what happened to Rudy Giuliani, no reasonable lawyer is going to work for Donald Trump right now. You might think that big tech has too much power. You, be, you might be like me and think that we need a democratic, public, almost international response by governments to rein in the power of massive corporations. But it is not a First Amendment case. And even lawyers that like Trump know he's a massive idiot. All right. Uh, Donald Trump, I, I think he's an idiot. Of course, he's a fool. He's a liar. But I do think that he knows, generally knows, that he lost this election. He lost this election. He lost. Just like the book I'm about to write. He lost. He lost this election. But he's going around with the big lie, telling the big lie. He know he lost it. I mean, the Electoral College was a landslide. He lost the popular vote in both elections. The reason why he won the first term was because of Russia. But he lost this one because the American people did not want a dictator and somebody as stupid as, and dumb as Trump. Trump doesn't want to be president, but he wants the job. He doesn't like the job, but he wants it. He's derelict in his duties. But he wants to be president because it makes him feel like he's king, like he's an emperor, and the rest of us are peasants. This is what he wants. He wants the power of the office. He doesn't want to do the job. He just wants the power of the office. Back. I think that uh, he will never be president again, even if he decides he wants to run in 2024. I don't think he's going to get that far without being indicted and locked the fuck up. I don't think he's going to get that far. And I'm so surprised that he has not been indicted so far. His family has not been indicted. They are out there roaming America, lying, lying, and doing more lying. And when you're doing that, especially the Trumps, all they are doing is inciting another insurrection because they're out there. They're free to do it. With all the evidence that the DOJ, the DOJ, sorry, the Department of Justice, has on Donald Trump. I'm pretty sure there's more. There's so much more to indict him for. He could be indicted 10 times for certain things they haven't brought out yet. I'm hearing 
um, the reason why they, Trump is not in jail or the reason why he's not have, has not been indicted because they're trying to get an airtight case, something that he cannot wiggle out of, even with the best lawyers. Yeah. They're building an airtight case. Why haven't we seen Donald Trump's taxes? New York has them. People were saying, I remember uh, Maxine Waters a couple of years ago. I mean, she was saying, well, I'm going to get Donald Trump taxes and I'm going to show everybody. Donald Trump's taxes are in the hands of New York. We should have seen them so far. Why are they holding stuff from the American people? I saw when Cyrus Vance got a hold of Donald Trump's taxes that he would immediately show these taxes, these forms to the American public, and the media would have been all over it. And I think that's why a lot of things haven't come out about Donald Trump because they're afraid the media is going to hype it. And people are asking why Donald Trump is not in jail. And I'll say it again. I'm hearing that they're trying to build an airtight case against Donald Trump. I don't know what that means because he's been guilty for the last two or three years as president. And even times before that, even times before he wasn't president. So I don't know how they're building an airtight case. Donald Trump is a crook. He's a criminal. He's a thug. He's a traitor. He's a two-time loser. He's a three-time loser. I mean, he is a, what can I say? Godfather-like criminal. And yet he walks free free to incite another insurrection because that's just what he's doing. He's not talking about U.S., the United States, the policy or issues or things uh, for, for the American people. He's talking about how he lost, how it was rigged. He's still, six months, six, seven months after he's been out of office, he's still saying it's been rigged that he is president. I think at one 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 night, I believe, I'm watching TV, Donald Trump came across the stage and it was this big old sign in back of him saying, "President Donald J. Trump." <laughs> yeah, you might have seen it. Big silvery looking sign in back of him. Nothing but his name. President Donald J. Trump. Okay, this is August <laughs> 2021. And they're still saying that he's president. People are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. The stupidest people in the world. I, I never thought that there were so many dumb, stupid people, crazy people, in the world. Every day I walk outside my door, dummies, stupidity, crazy people doing crazy shit. I mean, 
There is nothing you can do when people are just so dumb and crazy and stupid. Only thing you can do is back up and get out of the way. Because I've had people um, tell me, email me on, on social media and things like that, saying they have stupid people in their families. <laughs> and and I would just tell them, you know, I mean, you can't change stupid people. They're going to be that way for the rest of their lives. You can't change them. The only thing you can do is get the hell out of there. Find like-minded people to, to make friends with. Leave the loonies alone, even if they're in your family, even if they're people you work with. At your job. But if you have too many people, too many loonies at your job, you might want to find another job. Believe me, because they're they're going to think you're the weird, weird one. They're going to say, well, you know, and they will. The loonies will think that you are the one that's weird. So if you got too many loony people at your job, hey, find another job. There's plenty of them out there. And the, and the employers are hiring because it is a lot of stupid people out here in the world. I mean, five or ten years ago, I would have never said that because I always considered myself as a people person. So I would have never said that. But in the age of Donald Trump, they come out of the woodwork. They come out and show themselves. Remember when Donald Trump said, I just love the uneducated. I just love the stupid. I love the dumb. And they started walking out of the woodwork like zombies. <laughs> I had a friend of mine on Twitter said, she said, uh, uh, the stupid people are like um Space aliens who have invaded us. No, they're not like space space aliens who have invaded us. These people have been here all the time. <laughs> we just didn't notice them. We just didn't uh, pay them much attention. Donald Trump gave us these nuts, these crazy people, these loonies. And it doesn't matter how much education they have. Some of them have very little, and some of these people have gone to universities and things like that and just continue to be what they are, stupid. I, I, um, I brushed up against a um, – this woman, I think it was her – she brushed up against me as I was coming across this. And I said, um, excuse me. I turned around. What did she say? Oh, don't mind me. I'm just stupid. She called herself stupid. And she believed it. And I believed it, but I didn't say anything. I just kept walking. I wanted to get out of the way. I wanted to get away from her. And that's one of the things I try to tell people. If you if you around uh, crazy people, stupid people, dumb people, people who just fail to see the light, get away from them. If you're around people who are trying to bring you down, make you feel less than what you are, get the hell away from them. If you're around people who will not support what you do, they try to bring you down, make you look bad, all because they want to and they can, get the hell out of there. 
because they're out there. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. The new George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. January 6th commission is underway. If you turn on the television, if you turn on cable TV, that's all, and especially the news, that's all you're going to see. YouTube, uh, that's all you're going to see. The January 6th commission, you're going to see excerpts, you're going to see videos of what went on. If you missed it, if you if you had enough sense to DVR it, uh, it was compelling. It was very, very compelling. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show uh, on the air. And it's been... Well, we're having difficulties. All right, the George Wilder Jr. Show is here. Get vaccinated. I mean, uh, save lives, save self of others. Get vaccinated, and, and people are not stupid. Um, <laughs> if they're not too stupid, try to convince them to get vaccinated. It's in their uh, uh, mind to do that, to do that. And all right, to the show, this podcast. Okay, you ever lived in a condo where the people above you just made a lot of noise all the time? <laughs> they didn't care. So, so it's, it's one of the things. Look, I'm struggling for something to say. Okay. Well, you know, Trump is out again once peddling his garbage. He's going to be out. As long as this guy is free, he's going to be out. They are peddling this garbage. And I don't see how the DOJ can just let this guy keep doing that. Anybody deserve to be in prison is Donald Trump. Why isn't he not in prison? Why is it taking so fucking long for this guy to... Uh, to be dressed in a jumpsuit. I just don't know. I'm repeating myself here. Because he's going to continue to go out and incite violence. I'm pretty sure before he gives one of those rallies, he has to fill out something that's saying that he's not going to incite a riot. But every time he goes out and says he won when he did not, that's incitement. When he goes out and says that Joe Biden is illegitimate, he's he's inciting a riot. He's putting, in my estimation, he's putting Joe Biden's life in danger. He's putting Joe Biden's life in danger because he keeps going out there lying. All right, folks, here's... Stacey Adams on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Good evening, my fellow Americans, and happy Lunar New Year. I'm Stacey Abrams, and I'm honored to join the conversation about the state of our union. Growing up, my family went back and forth between lower middle class and working class. Yet even when they came home weary and bone-tired, My parents found a way to show us all who we could be. My librarian mother taught us to love learning. 
My father, a shipyard worker, put in overtime and extra shifts, and they made sure we volunteered to help others. Later, they both became United Methodist ministers, an expression of the faith that guides us. These were our family values, faith, service, education, and responsibility. Now, we only had one car, so sometimes my dad had to hitchhike and walk long stretches during the 30-mile trip home from the shipyards. One rainy night, my mom got worried. We piled in the car and went out looking for him, and we eventually found my dad making his way along the road, soaked and shivering in his shirt sleeves. When he got in the car, my mom asked if he'd left his coat at work. He explained that he'd given it to a homeless man he'd met on the highway. When we asked why he'd given away his only jacket, my dad turned to us and said, I knew when I left that man he'd still be alone, but I could give him my coat because I knew you were coming for me. Our power and strength as Americans lives in our hard work and our belief in more. My family understood firsthand that while success is not guaranteed, we live in a nation where opportunity is possible. But we do not succeed alone. In these United States, when times are tough, we can persevere because our friends and neighbors will come for us. Our first responders will come for us. It is this mantra, this uncommon grace of community that has driven me to become an attorney, a small business owner, a writer, and most recently, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. My reason for running was simple. I love our country and its promise of opportunity for all. And I stand here tonight because I hold fast to my father's credo. Together, we are coming for America, for a better America. Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food and a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt, engineered by the President of the United States, one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives. I didn't always agree with the Republican speaker or governor, but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties, they cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down. We came together and we kept our word. It should be no different in our nation's capital. We may come from different sides of the political aisle, but our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable. Our most urgent work is to realize Americans' dreams of today and tomorrow, to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime. Children deserve an excellent education from cradle to career. We owe them safe schools and the highest standards, regardless of zip code. Yet this White House responds timidly while first graders practice active shooter drills and the price of higher education grows ever steeper. From now on, our leaders must be willing to tackle gun safety measures and face the crippling effect of educational loans. 
to support educators and invest what is necessary to unleash the power of America's greatest minds. In Georgia and around the country, people are striving for a middle class where a salary truly equals economic security. But instead, families' hopes are being crushed by Republican leadership that ignores real life or just doesn't understand it. Under the current administration, far too many hardworking Americans are falling behind, living paycheck to paycheck, most without labor unions to protect them from even worse harm. The Republican tax bill rigged the system against working people. Rather than bringing back jobs, plants are closing, layoffs are looming, and wages struggle to keep pace with the actual cost of living. We owe more to the millions of everyday folks who keep our economy running, like truck drivers forced to buy their own rigs, farmers caught in a trade war, small business owners in search of capital, and domestic workers serving without labor protections. Women and men who could thrive if only they had the support and freedom to do so. We know bipartisanship could craft a 21st century immigration plan, but this administration chooses to cage children and tear families apart. Compassionate treatment at the border is not the same as open borders. President Reagan understood this. President Obama understood this. Americans understand this. And Democrats stand ready to effectively secure our ports and borders. But we must all embrace that from agriculture to health care to entrepreneurship, America is made stronger by the presence of immigrants, not walls. And rather than suing to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, as Republican attorneys general have, our leaders must protect the progress we've made and commit to expanding health care and lowering costs for everyone. My father has battled prostate cancer for years. To help cover the cost, I found myself sinking deeper into debt, because while you can defer some payments, you can't defer cancer treatment. In this great nation, Americans are skipping blood pressure pills, forced to choose between buying medicine or paying rent. Maternal mortality rates show that mothers, especially black mothers, risk death to give birth. And in 14 states, including my home state, where a majority want it, our leaders refuse to expand Medicaid, which could save rural hospitals, save economies, and save lives. We can do so much more. Take action on climate change. Defend individual liberties with fair-minded judges. But none of these ambitions are possible without the bedrock guarantee of our right to vote. Let's be clear. Voter suppression is real. From making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy. While I acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in Georgia, I did not, and we cannot, accept efforts to undermine our right to vote. That's why I started a nonpartisan organization called Fair Fight, to advocate for voting rights. This is the next battle for our democracy, one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a power grab. 
Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and our veterans risk their lives to defend. The foundation of our moral leadership around the globe is free and fair elections, where voters pick their leaders, not where politicians pick their voters. In this time of division and crisis, we must come together and stand for and with one another. America has stumbled time and again on its quest towards justice and equality. But with each generation, we have revisited our fundamental truths, and where we falter, we make amends. We fought Jim Crow with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, yet we continue to confront racism from our past and in our present, which is why we must hold everyone from the highest offices to our own families accountable for racist words and deeds and call racism what it is, wrong. America achieved a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade, but we must never forget it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. We affirmed marriage equality, and yet the LGBTQ community remains under attack. So even as I am very disappointed by the president's approach to our problems, I still don't want him to fail. But we need him to tell the truth and to respect his duties and respect the extraordinary diversity that defines America. Welcome to Hard Talk from New York with me, Stephen Sacker. This city and Los Angeles are the twin capitals of America's giant movie, media, and entertainment business. A business that has been rocked by allegations of systemic sexism, misogyny, and abusive behavior. My guest today is Ashley Judd, the actor and activist, and one of the first women to go public with her accusations about the mega producer Harvey Weinstein. What began with voices of anger and pain has become a movement demanding radical change. How far can it go? Ashley Judd, welcome to Hard Talk. Thank you. In recent weeks and months, something quite extraordinary has happened, kick-started, I suppose, by the allegations uh, concerning Harvey Weinstein. And what we see now is the growth of a real movement of women speaking out. Are you satisfied that this has come about, or are you deeply frustrated that it's taken so long for this to come about. What's your overriding emotion right now? Joy. Just unmitigated, electrifying joy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that it's here. I've been telling the story for a long time since the moment it happened, in fact, because, you know, my particular examples of harassment with Harvey Weinstein, I'm a teller, uh, to use the word that Laura Dern used the other night on stage at the Golden Globes, I'm a tattler. And you know, I was molested for the first time when I was seven years old, and the first thing I did was go to a grown-up and say, hey, this just happened. And as so often the case, the grown-ups said, oh, he's a nice old man, that's not what he meant. But I somehow or another managed, Stephen, to stay absolutely authentic in my truth that I knew that something terribly wrong had happened. And I think that's why I'm such a crusader for, for 
gender equality and for the full eradication of all gender and sexual-based violence because I experienced it as a youth. I experienced it in Hollywood. It's been the core of my humanitarian work for over 15 years. And now that this movement has collectivized and catalyzed and is here, it's incredibly gratifying to me. If we just stick with Weinstein for a moment, what happened to you with Harvey Weinstein happened in 1997. But the truth uh, and your story and so many other people's stories has only emerged in the last few months. So what happened to the telling that you did at the time? No one could hear me. No one could hear me. And I told this story in great detail to Variety magazine two years to the month prior to the publication of the New York Times piece. And everyone knew that I was talking about Harvey. He was named in the comments that were posted on Variety's website. Sometimes people called him by name. Sometimes they used loosely disguised names like Schmarvy, Schmeinstein. But you, you didn't name him in the piece. No, I didn't name him in the piece. I was, I was talking with Variety for their women in film issue or their powerful women in Hollywood issue, whatever they call it. And um, the journalist asked the question, had I ever been harassed? And I was like, not yes, but hell yes. And everyone in the room with me, my team was like, no, no, no. I was like, well, of course I'm going to tell the story. I've been, t you know, my dad was with me when it happened. And I came straight from that hotel room at the peninsula down to the lobby and immediately told my dad what had happened, including everyone that night with whom I was filming on Kiss the Girls, the director, the writer, the producer, all of whom over the years um, have discussed it in an ongoing way with me. And it's just that now the world could hear and the pattern is, is clear from so many of the different stories. Weinstein often operating out of a hotel room, summoning uh, a female actor to his room, then appearing in the bathrobe and demanding different acts which were clearly of a sexual nature. You fled when that pretty much happened to you. Were you then for a long time frightened of Weinstein? I was not frightened of Harvey Weinstein, and I think that's why he blackballed me. I think that's why he blacklisted me and did, unfortunately, as we know now, such a successful job sabotaging my career because, you know, he continued to harass me between 97 and 99, and I have other examples, and I haven't gone into detail because I don't want to give it oxygen. And you know what I have to do? I have to say, for all sorts of legal reasons, that Harvey Weinstein continues to absolutely deny that in any of the cases that have been discussed in the last few months that he ever uh, acted in a way that was, was not consensual when it came to sexual activity. Right, and he also hasn't denied that he harassed me and in fact he's apologized for it. In my particular example what he said, and this is a direct quote, he didn't lay a glove on me and he didn't because as you noticed I, I was able to flee the room but he absolutely harassed me, he abused his power, and he lorded it over me, you know, this imbalance between us, um, with, with vitriol and abuse of charm for two years. And then all of a sudden... At the so you continue to see him? Well, I would bump into him at, ho at the hotel, I would bump into him at different events, and he was always like, you know, wink, wink, I'm going to find that great part for you. And at the premiere of Double Jeopardy in 1999, I had reached the up with which I could no longer put. And I, I'll always remember this because Barbara Walters was to my right, and I wondered if on an unconscious level having a powerful woman standing near me 
helped inflame my own audacious courage because I started to go at him. Mm. I literally started to go at him and I was getting ready to, to call him out in front of whoever happened to hear to be within ear distant, ear whatever I'm trying to say. And um, he, he, he knew it and he, he said, you know, I'm going to let you out of that little deal we made. And I said, you do that, Harvey. You do that. And he never bothered me again, but of course he blacklisted me, which Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh have since confirmed. He says that he received information that you and another leading actor, Mira Savino, were difficult, that you, they shouldn't be you and Mira should not be touched because you were too demanding, too difficult. And Peter Jackson has since said, you know, I, I, I took that information and I wish I hadn't. But does it leave you feeling that your career has, in a substantial way, been, been ruined by this man? Not ruined, but definitely impacted. Definitely impacted. And I, I deeply appreciate Peter and Fran's apology. And they wrote me a very detailed letter with an absolute blow-by-blow blow timeline of what happened and what was said and how it was confusing for them because this notion that I was difficult didn't match their experience of me personally. And it, it really, it's, it's in a way, Stephen, it's a relief because it explains what previously had been inexplicable, you know, why I was always on that. I, I was at the time the highest paid act, female actor in Hollywood. And then when I was on that short list and it was, you know, Julie Roberts and Sandy Bullock and me and a couple of other people, when it would come down to it so often without explanation, I wouldn't get the offer. And now we know why. And there's Well, again, Miramax have denied that they put out a blacklist or blackballed individuals, including yourself. But, but you, well, there are a lot of contradictions in there. All right.
troubled world, I pray the Lord to keep, keep hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small. 